Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I'm super pumped to be here with you all today. Welcome to the diner, y'all. How we doing? It's getting a little winter. It's getting a little gloomy. We got to get inside and eat some cozy food together and share some stories, and that's exactly what we're going today to do today with my badass guest. I got to meet her a couple of years ago at an event that I put on called Living Imperfectly Live. I get a handful, maybe 20 people together, and we talk about where are you stuck in your life? What stories are you writing that are keeping you stuck? And how can we rewrite those stories so that you can live a badass life? Um, the life that you want to live, not the life that you think you should live. Um, and uh, I became friends with this incredible woman there. And I'm so excited for you to meet her. Her name is Farine Paris Meyer. She is a storyteller and a wonderful storyteller at that. She creates heart-centered storytelling spaces through workshops, community engagements, culinary food, Haitian rum cakes. She doing it all. Her goal is to make a collective difference within her local Vermont community and beyond one story at a time. She loves to say that all stories are worthy of telling. So what's yours, friend? Friends, join me and let us liberate our collective wisdom together through her work over at All Heart Inspirations. I'm really excited for you to get to connect with her. She's a badass Haitian and just a badass woman. And I'm pumped for you to get to connect with her. Let's bring her out. What's going on, Fareen? Hey, what up, what up? Hello. What is going on, Farine? How are you doing today? You know, I'm here. I woke up today. I chose to do this thing called life um, and just taking it moment by moment. So Moment by moment. Yeah. Farine, I got, I got a, a quick question for you. Um, there are times when we know a very small amount of someone's language that they also know. And you want to flex that as a way to be welcoming and loving and whatnot. But there's also times where, like, if I brought you on, I was like, yo, Farine, sac passe. Would you not be like, boulet. not, not boulet. Not boulet. Not, Hell yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> but you never know if it's like, come on, bro, what are you doing out here? Like, what's, what's up? Oh, come on. You try, you're a try hard, James. You're being a try hard. <laughs> No, that's right. No, I love that. I love the sock upset. You know, I, I love that. A little uh, brings the, the culture um, into the day um, and a little appreciation for where my roots, you know, deeply come from. Um, my partner, who is um, white, he just, I think he says sac passe and like he says a few food things, but like mm -hmm. he's pr like, that's as much as he can get out of his mouth when it comes to Creole. But <laughs> I, I appreciate 
appreciate it. I'm like, you know, A for effort, Josh. Thank you. A for effort. <laughs> a for effort. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Uh, Farine, I'm so, I'm so pumped to kick it with you. You know, this show is called Diner Talks with James. And so here's how I like to kick this off. I'm wondering... You know, I think the best conversations happen late at night with the friends we never want to leave uh, over the food that we probably shouldn't be eating. It's a, a time for great stories to come out. I know you know this. And and so what I'm wondering for you, do you have a late night guilty pleasure in the food arena? Is there a food that you love to eat? Or if you have, like maybe maybe you can go back in the day. Maybe you're more mature and don't eat at 1 a.m. anymore. But uh, that's fine. But I'm wondering, what, what's a late night guilty pleasure food move for you? Uh, I mean, if we're just talking about practical, like I don't have to do much to savor it. I just, I love hot Cheetos. And two days ago, <laughs> two days ago, I was like, it was like 1 a.m. I'm a night owl. And I was like, I went downstairs and I was like, I'm craving something, but I don't really want to make those. And then I opened up the cabinet and I forgot there was a bag of there was frozen hot Cheetos up in the cabinet. And I was like, this is life right now. I put it in <laughs> I put the Cheetos in a cute little bowl. Oh, wow. You did it. <laughs> and you did it. Yeah. And uh, I love hot Cheetos. And I, I the hot Cheetos, that was my pandemic food when everything mm. just started to blow up. Like, mm -hmm. I would do these things with my family and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to the store. What is the one item you need me to come back with? And so they'd, they'd have their request, like, you know, the cheese ball containers, like Twizzlers and hot Cheetos was like, that was my thing. And then on a Friday night, I'd show up at 10 p.m. with everyone's gluttonous stuff and we'd watch a movie and have no idea when we'd ever see people anytime soon again. <laughs> so hot Cheetos just really spark joy. But uh, if it's like there's some love or effort or energy, I'm a wings girl and not just mm. I'm a and I'm a flat person, not the drumstick. Wow. I'm a two bone flat connoisseur. I love making wings. So that that's where I lie. Hot Cheetos wings. Like I can't go wrong. I'm a happy person. That's a, first off, a beautiful, a beautiful pair. Uh, I'm with you. Here's my question for you. A lot of hot Cheeto fans bring hot Cheetos into other foods in their life. They like crumble them on top of stuff, almost like Takis, right? Um, I'm wondering, do you do that? Or is there anything that you put hot Cheetos on that I need to try? Someone, I had a friend and they had an air fryer party. So it was a potluck air fryer party. So every item had to be made in a an air fryer. And someone made these pickles battered in hot Cheeto crumbs. Mm -hmm. And they put them in the air fryer. James, yo, everyone was like, forget the chicken. Forget that. People were like, give me those hot Cheeto pickles. Like, it was a game changer. Um, it was good. It was good. So, but I've never I'm myself. Yeah, set yeah. up my culinary game okay. and made something with uh, hot Cheeto crumbs. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard Maybe. people sometimes crumble them on tacos and stuff. It's like their way to almost make like a, a Doritos Locos kind of taco at home. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> this Mac is actually good. Cheese. Mac and cheese all day. Yep, for sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Now, now uh, we need to get past hot Cheetos because you talked about one of my favorite foods of all time, which is wings. One of the ways that I tried to make friends when I first moved to Minnesota is that you know, it's first off, men are weird, and uh, and we could go into that topic for as deep and as long as you want. But uh, but men are a fascinating species. But men, whenever they hang out, 
can't just be like, you want to hang out? There's always got to be something going on, right? It's always got to be like, even if it's just something like a beer or a bourbon or a, or, you know, a cigar, right? Or it's like, we're going to watch a game or we're going to go here. And there's always got to be a thing. You can't just be like, you want to come over and sit on the couch with me for a minute, right? Like that'd be real weird. And so anyway, so my attempt to make friends was like, Hey, I just moved to the twin cities. I'm on a quest to find the best burgers or, and, or the best wings in town. Do you want to come on my quest with me? Um, and uh, tapping into like the valor and the courage of knights to quest. And so anyway, that's how I tried to make friends when I first, and I got to go out to eat with a number of different guys doing that. So it worked, but it speaks to my passion for wings. I also like flats over drums. I agree with you, but I don't just like throw the drums out. It sounds like you're like, nah, drums. Oh, I don't even no, look at I you. I will do the drums. I will I will do the drums. But the restaurants or places I go, is it possible for me to get all flats? They already get twenty five percent hooking me up. Like 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 yeah. you know, like so uh -huh. I appreciate the flats. Um or I appreciate them connected. Like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole I love way. the whole like just yeah, yeah. The different flavors. Mm-hmm. It's brings out stuff. the savage in you too. Is there a, uh, what is it? What, what do you like your wings in? Are you a, are you a straight Buffalo? Are you a teriyaki? Are you a, a garlic Parmesan? Like, you know, I'm, I could go through all the Buffalo wild wings, which is actually a good time to bring up our sponsor, Buffalo wild wings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't have any sponsors anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, what do you, uh, how do you, how do you like your wings? Uh, so I do like a dry rub at home with a variety of different spices, mm -hmm. you know, your little adobo, little ippies is a little Haitian seasoning, grinding down garlic and scallions and all of that stuff. Um, and then if I want to step it up, uh, there's a jerk sauce. I think mm. it's called like grace. I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but then I'll marinate it in that and I'll put it in the fridge overnight. And then the next day. I like either grilling them like on a legit yep. like grill outside or the air fryer. Like the air fryer was a game changer for chicken, uh, the chicken hole hustle at home. Like I love what the air fryer did to make me reappreciate chicken because it go. was just starting to fall back compared <laughs> to some of the other proteins in my life. But the air fryer was like, no, man, chicken, chicken can do what it needs to do if you're not grilling it. If it's not on a grill. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, chicken. Welcome back. I, I, I personally didn't realize you had left. Um, but, uh, I love that. We've been doing, uh, I do, I, lo I love a good dry spice. I got a uh, dry rub. I do like a, like a nine spice rub uh, when I do wings here. Uh, I love smoking wings, smoking them and then getting a little char on them. Uh, yep. But also we've been doing a like, Korean style with like gojujang and, uh, Ooh, and, and fish yes. sauce and sesame. And so, yeah, we got, uh, we've been playing around with some stuff here at the house. So I, I, I hear that. you on that. I hear you. <laughs> uh, I love, I love that we have that in common. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> uh, this is dope. Farine, you are in the beautiful state of Vermont. Um, <clears throat> Vermont is a gorgeous place. Uh, couldn't buy a billboard if you wanted one. Um, nope. there, uh, it is just a stunning spot, uh, that is great because Ben and Jerry's is there, but also way more. How long have you lived in Vermont? Are you born and raised in Vermont? Obviously you are, you are Haitian in culture. Um, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about your journey there. Yeah. So we, um, 10 years, 
um, I'm hitting the decade um, in this state of Vermont, uh, originally from uh, the Boston area, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. uh, born in and started to raise up in Cambridge, uh, spent a good amount of my time in Brockton. Uh, but I've lived in Massachusetts for most of my life. So this transition to Vermont, uh, I'm not going to lie. I was really kind of sketched out, skeptical. I took my time. Thanks. Like. Mm -hmm. My part, when people ask me how long you've been here, I got to do the math because my partner, Josh, came up a half year before us because I was like, you know, you, you go, you got the job, like, go figure it out. And mm -hmm. I had just gotten promoted. I was in higher ed at the time. Uh, I was doing orientation. We had a, a baby. I was like, go get settled and I'll come find you. And <laughs> But eventually I did have to resign and leave this job that I loved at Holy Cross and um Nala and I joined him in Vermont, but yeah, 10 years. And uh, it's been quite the journey um, because I was definitely not, I never would have thought that I'd be that person to give this place double digits. Like mm -hmm. when I Googled it, they, there was no Target, no Trader Joe's. I was <laughs> like, where, where are we going? You know, like what, you know, I was wrapping my head around. Um, we're a multiracial family. You know, I was like, we're moving to like the whitest state in the, country like aren't we not a, a like a like a family and I'm like what will that mean for my daughter like will she lose some of the culture because she's interracial you know she's lighter skin than me I was like this these are all the thoughts you know like yeah. is there going to be a whitewashing of our culture dropping our family in this state um so I was in no rush to go there <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Like, you go ahead, honey. You go ahead. <laughs> and I was just strategic. Um, but when I got up here, uh, I didn't have a job yet. Uh, it can be tough getting a, a job like in higher ed because there's just, you know, and I just got to explore here for half a year instead. I got to be a stay at home parent and Nala was two and we just, the state was our playground. I didn't have a job. I called it, I was like, I'm on sabbatical. That's what I there said. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, cause you know, my worst, like what's the worst? Like that was all caught up in my worst. Like, mm -hmm. I can't believe I don't have a job. Like my partner has a career. Like how did I become the stay at home parent? Um, but it was so needed. It was so needed to just stop. I, I slept so well. I ate so well. I worked out. I went to the grocery store. I cooked my heart out. I had quality time with my kids. We knew every park, every event at the library. So it allowed me to fall in love with this place in a very tender way. And everybody wanted to visit because we were in Vermont. So I also pretended I was was running a bed and breakfast and so we call our home wherever we live the hummingbird uh -huh. um and so people be like what's up is there a weekend open in in february to come stay at the hummingbird i'm like let me check my calendar <laughs> so uh in that half year we had so many beautiful visitors that i got to introduce to this place that i think was going to become home um and with time we found our groove we found our people josh got promoted we bought the home and you'd really have to convince me to live somewhere else. Um, I really do love it here. Yeah. That's uh, beautiful. That's, that's beautiful. And yeah, I love, I love, uh, you know, in higher ed, if you say sabbatical, it's a flex. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, nice. Yep. nice. Good on you. Good on you. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> so yeah, that was I'm well like, played. That was well played. It's like, no, you're unemployed. You do not have a 
job for you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, I remember those times. Like, I remember at one point, like, I was returning cans to the grocery store because I was like, yo, this is money, like clipping coupons. Like, we were in this one, all of a sudden, in one income. We no longer lived on campus. I lived on campus for seven years. I didn't pay any utility bills. Like, I was like, what? You pay what for cable? I was like, oh, hell no. We don't need cable. I was like, we don't need this. Like, oh, the heat, keep that at a nice, like, 60. Like, it was such a switch in existing. And that, I started to get nervous. I'm like, when did I, when did living check to check creep back into my life? And don't I have a college degree? Don't I have a master's degree? Like, like, wh- like, when did I all of a sudden travel back in this, the way that my parents and growing up living check to check, it all came back in my 30s, James, yeah. I was like, it was it was a lot, you know, I was like, I, I thought I told myself that I would not put myself in the position that I felt my parents constantly found themselves in where finances and money was adding stress to the home and you're like you're deciding between the brand name and the non-brand name what's on sale what's not on sale I couldn't believe I was back in that mindset you know and but it was humbling mm-hmm. and it just needed to happen it invited us to really think about what what we needed and what we didn't need and you know, right now we live in a four bedroom colonial in Burlington. It's a beautiful home. And I love that we have so much more space, but what the way we threw down in that two bedroom condo (laughs) with the number of guests that we had coming through in our first home, that was life. We didn't have furniture because we lived on campus for Mm -hmm. so long. I remember Mm -hmm. us having dinner, some of our first meals, we had Nala's Princess Tiana table that had two chairs and then we had two lawn chairs uh-huh. and our first guest Kathleen and Ben came to see us and we were like having like pasta like around a <laughs> princess Tiana table like and it was happiness James it wasn't like shit I wish I had more like we had exactly what we needed in that moment we had warm yeah. food we had a roof over our head and we were it was a new beginning you had princess so, Tiana and I have Princess Tiana, a, a, a black Disney princess. Like, hell yeah, let's do this. <laughs> but, you know, I remember our grill. It was like a charcoal grill, like those little circle ones that people might bring to the beach. Mm-hmm. Josh was feeding like 15 people off of that grill. Like, and so it, it just makes you savor. And like there's beauty in such simplicity sometimes. Yeah. So, and I also appreciate the four bedroom home. I ain't, I ain't hating that either, Right. Yep, um, yep. but I'm not taking it for granted. I'm not taking for granted the four bedroom home. Cause I remembered mm-hmm. what it was like to lose our home. Me growing up as a child, like my parents, we lost our home. We couldn't keep up with the mortgage. Uh, we had to downsize like nobody's business in like less than weeks. I shared a bed with my sister. Mm-hmm. I was one of those kids that went off to college I was so excited about a twin bed, James. I had no complaints. I was like, I don't know what y'all complaining about. We get to sleep in a twin bed by ourselves? Like, this is dope. <laughs> you know, it's just context, right? Lived experiences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my parents did what they had to do. We kept, we did not keep up with mortgage payments because they prioritized keeping up with the tuition because they had enrolled us in um, private schooling. 
and for them that mattered more. And so I'm, I can't hate on what they thought at the time was the best decision because especially with Haitian immigrants coming to the US, like all that sacrifice was done to give us the best education possible. Mm-hmm. So for them, and I feel that the way that I move through this world and I, like, I'm so thankful for the path that they could put me on education wise. And it did mean losing a home and downsizing, uh, but it also instilled something in me that whenever I get my first home, I'm not going to lose that shit. And so I was the senior in high school working. And while people are putting money away for cars and prom dresses, I'm already thinking about a house, James. I'm 17 thinking about a house. I'm thinking about the house someday that I will have. And if I start now, if I start putting away now, then I can actually choose the house I want in the future and not settle. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I remember when we bought our house, uh, I remember that day. I remember being like, wow, (laughs) you've been thinking about this day for like over a, like a decade plus mm-hmm. of your life um, to be a homeowner. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, worth tied up in what does that mean? You know, like that American dream, like mm-hmm. I, you right, know, exactly. I, it's, this, it's this house with this picket fence. What does that look like? Um, but yeah, I remember when my dad, I still have it on my phone, actually, a voicemail that my dad left for me the day I closed on our home. And he's like, you know, he's like, baby girl, you don't have to dream anymore because you're living it. You're living it. What it like, that's the thing about life. When you go from not just dreaming, but actualizing that dream. Mm-hmm. And I keep that voicemail from my dad because it's a beautiful reminder of what it means to savor when you've manifested the dreams that we're all so deserving of. Um, I don't even know how we got here, James, but here we are. And um, but I feel like that's my life now. All heart inspirations, everything. It's it's just about I don't want to just dream. I want to manifest those dreams. Yeah. I want to I want to actualize those dreams. I want people to be in those dreams with me. I want to co-create and feel them and exist in them. And uh, it's been awesome to move through life recently and being like, I'm not dreaming. Yeah. Because I'll do that. I'll be like performing somewhere. And I'm like, did you just open up the Flynn Theater for like almost like 2,000 people? Like, is this your life right now? And, I, and I'll pinch myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep, yep, that hurts. You ain't dreaming. <laughs> You're living the dream, as dad, as my poppy said. Actively. You're living it. Actively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Farina, that's badass. I, you know, I wrote down, <clears throat> you saw me looking down for a second. I wrote down, baby girl, you don't have to dream anymore. You are living it. That is such a, a beautiful and powerful quote from your father. Uh, and uh, And something that, I think we all need a reminder from time to time. I'm not saying that we're done. I'm not saying that we got everything. We've checked every box we hope to check and never dream again. Um, But at some point in time, we do need to look back at where we were and where we are and be like, oh, shoot, I've climbed pretty far up this mountain. Uh, 
Um, right. Yes. Like, I, I really, I truly have. And, uh, and so that is, uh, that is really beautiful. I love it. You know, you, you said a, a bunch of powerful things in there. Um, <clears throat> and I want, I want to go back to some of them and, and, and open them up a little bit. One of the big things that you said early on was that, you know, I was, I was nervous about moving away, uh, from Massachusetts to, uh, to Vermont, because what would the impact be on my culture? What would, uh, what, what would people think about my culture? What would people think about my daughter? What would be in a mixed race family, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of, a lot of really powerful things that, you know, I, as a white person married to a white person, we don't, we don't need to think about that. Um, right. And, uh, and so I, I appreciate you, the reminder that, uh, you know, not, not having to think about something is often what privilege looks like. Um, and so the, uh, but, but I want to talk about that culture because culture is something that we've, we've touched on in a number of different ways already in this. Uh, and I, and I want to come back to it. You mentioned that your parents, uh, are immigrants. So your parents immigrated here to the United States to provide you with a better life, a better education, et cetera. Etc. Um, growing up in a household, did you all speak Creole and uh, English? And you know, uh, being Haitian, um, being Haitian is something that is very important to you. There are times when people immigrate, Im- immigrate, I, yeah, right, um, to this country, and they actually try to diminish the light of their culture because they want to assimilate more. Right. Yeah. And, and there's, there's whole sorts of different reasons. No one's right. And no one's wrong. Right. Families are doing the best that they can with the information they have. Um, but I'm wondering yeah. for your family, you know, was, uh, was it important to lift up the Haitian side while also lift up this new life that, that they <laughs> wanted for you? What did that look like growing up? Whew. Yes stuff that I'm still unpacking in therapy, James. <laughs> Your therapist actually called me and said, if you could ask this what, question, yeah. that'd be great. I'm like, why are you in my therapist notes? Um, so, wow, this is the journey, right, that I'm still on. I'm mm-hmm. still on. I, I would love to say that from the moment my mom birthed me into this world until this moment right now, like being proud of being a Haitian American has been my vibe, but as you were saying, assimilation (laughs) is real. Like trying to figure out where you're enough as you bounce between two cultures, your Haitian culture at home, but then there's this culture at school where that's predominantly white. And then there's your neighborhood culture that's all mixed brown and black. You're just like, who am I supposed to be? Value what? Like it's, it's a mind. It's a, it's, it's a mind. I was like, can I swear? It's a mind fuck. Yes. Right. <laughs> like that's exactly what it is. And I think growing up, we spoke Creole um, and English in our home, but it got to a point when I was in like kindergarten, first grade, my parents started fo- like speaking uh, to us in English because they like, you were starting to use both words in school, right? And you got yeah. teachers and what are they telling you? Like English for like whatever it may be. And so I started to get comfortable with my parents would speak Creole to me, but I would answer in English. My answering English helps them with their English. Them speaking the Creole to me helps me maintain like having the ear for it. But we're like, um, so that was, and then my grandmother who never pretty much learned English who had immigrated here, once she passed away when I was in college, that was like my last thread of needing to speak Creole. 
because now everyone could do either or. Right. And so till this day with my parents, I speak English, but, and they speak Creole to me, you know, and like, or sometimes my dad who's more fluent in his English will speak English. So it's still there, but it's one of those where now, if I knew what I knew now, I wish I would have been able to preserve the comfort of speaking fluently with the Creole, because at the end of the day, now I don't have a, a, a strength in that language, I guess, to pass on to my daughters. And so eventually it will fall off, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and this is one of the things about even what it meant to start dating a white person. I'm like, okay, because once we start mixing the genes, how do you hold on to everything? Like, and so, yeah. Uh, and I think about that. And every day I'm thinking about what did my parents let go of because they were trying to hold on to either American or white culture, because that's what seem to be the and I'm like what can I do to pivot that with my kids so that we're holding on to all of it we're holding on to their blackness we're holding on to Josh's Jewish and Irish we're mm -hmm. holding on to at least some words so now I have this thing where when the kids aren't listening I just start cussing them out in Creole <laughs> and they're like what are you saying to me and it actually brings me a lot of joy that I can drop some things in words and they have no idea what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. and, and I get off my chest. And then when I speak English, I can say the more thoughtful parent thing that needs to be said in that moment right now. Um, but my daughter, Melody, who's eight, she's really curious about speaking Creole. And so she'll be like, how do you say this word? So yeah, I haven't been able to give them the whole language, but I can still phase in pieces of it. Yeah, That's the best I can do right now. And that's enough. Because <clears throat> we're still there, we're all Haitian enough, whether yeah. or not we're fluent with it. Yeah, yeah. That's a powerful sentence right there. You know, a lot of people don't know if they should mask a little bit of who they are because they're not all the way the thing. Um, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, that's a really powerful way to look at it that you are Haitian enough, even though you may not be completely fluent. Your, your daughter is Haitian enough, even though she isn't as fluent as you are. And right. And, you know, you go back to your losing your, losing your grandmother. Um, and, uh, it reminds me of the, the old African proverb, uh, which is when an elder dies, a library burns to the ground. Ooh, damn. I feel that grabbing my heart. Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so like, there's that, there's that point where, you know, I know for me, when I lost my grandfather, there's, there's so many stories that I wanted to hear and so many stories that I didn't get a chance to ask because at that point in my life, when he had died, I was, I was just getting curious. I was just seeing the forest through the trees uh, of life. Um, and that, uh, you know, that was around the same point that I realized uh, my parents weren't put on this earth to have my brothers and I, right. That they had gone, they had boyfriends and girlfriends and he'd gone through breakups and had, you right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so oh, yeah. like, it was all around that same period of life. And, uh, and so is that, but you know, he passed just as I got curious, but I was in, you know, I was in college and, and cell phones were just turning into a thing. So we sure as hell didn't have one. He still had a rotary phone. Um, right. And so it was, uh, we just, you know, it was, I had to wait till the holidays didn't act. And, um, it just, uh, just ran out of time, um, and didn't take advantage of the time that I had before. And so, you know, hearing you talk about your grandmother a little bit, obviously sparks that, uh, in me as well. Uh, yeah. so as you think about, uh, the Haitian culture, you know, it's something that you still speak, you, you do, you can speak, you do speak a good yeah. amount of Creole, but you also, 
are very passionate about speaking the language of the culture through food, right? Yeah. You know, if you go to allheartinspirations.com, you know, I'm, I can buy a, a Haitian rum cake right now. Yeah. Um, right. And, uh, and so, uh, but is the power of food that connects us to those individuals as well. Would you agree? Yes. And so James, prior to moving to Vermont, I could not cook a lick of Haitian food if you paid me to. Like, mm -hmm. I, that was not a skill I had, right? So I moved to Vermont and I start realizing there is no Caribbean food restaurants like here. Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, so I was like, you literally either drive to Montreal to get your Caribbean fix, which is an hour and 45 from us, or great city. You wait to great city. Beautiful city. <laughs> Or you go home, which is four hours away, and you're seeing home maybe three, four times a year. Yeah, Farine, that's not enough for your Haitian body. Like, you, know, like <laughs> you, you can't be waiting on the joy of Haitian food and depending on somebody else to bring that into your life. And I, when we bought our home, we started doing a lot more like potlucks with people. And I moved next to this neighbor who was um, Mexican. Uh, who was also an interracial family. Her partner was white. And we would do these potlucks. And I realized when we do potlucks, everybody was bringing things that reflected their culture. And I was bringing a thing I threw down, but it didn't represent my culture. And people started asking me like, but aren't you Haitian? Like, don't you make that black rice? And I, I do the shame look down. And I'm like, <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I don't I don't make the Juyavik John John. I don't make the the black rice. Or do you not make this? And sometimes when it comes to your culture, there are things that people like are like, are you enough of this culture? And sometimes the questions are, do you speak the language? Have you visited the country? Mm -hmm. And like, are there particular foods you know how to make? And and for a while, James, I just felt like I was like oh for three on everything. I'm like. Nope, I've never been to Haiti. I do not cook Haitian food. I I can speak Creole, but I'm like, you know, I'm not as strong. And yeah. so Vermont, because it was even so far removed from my Haitian community that I have back in Brockton, Massachusetts, Vermont made me be like, Freen, what do you got to do to like hold on to your Haitian culture? Because you're going to lose it. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I found the recipes. I, I, I saw an article actually it was on Facebook. Someone had posted, it was like the five Haitian recipes every Haitian should know how to make. And so I clicked on it and the, uh, the recipes were in English and there was actually like measurements. Cause the thing about Haitian cooking, I'd be like, all right, mom, like, how do you make rice? There's no measurements. She's freestyling. She's just shaking all things into the pot. Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, how much water was, she's like, I don't know, Farin, you just feel it out. And I'm like, oh, hell. <laughs> or if I'd look up Haitian recipes, they weren't in English. And so I was like, yo, this article is going to save my life. And I was like, you're going to learn how to make these things. And yeah. that's how I started. And before you know it, I was like freestyling. And I can't believe that now I'm in a life where I've done storytelling events where I'm the head chef. Like, curating a three-course Haitian meal, curating the recipes. I tap a few friends to be my sous chefs in the kitchen, and we throw down Haitian food. And I'm like, I did that shit. I did, like, I did that shit. Like, yeah. and once I went to my um, 
back in 2017 was the first time I got to visit Haiti for the first time. Uh, that was one of the major puzzle pieces that I needed in my mm. life to pick up. Yeah, tell I me more like about that. You know, I feel like we go through life and we're picking up the puzzle pieces that are kind of evolving into this human that we're um, becoming. And when I went to Haiti, I was like, where have you been my whole life? Because even though it was my first time being in the country, putting my foot on the land, it all felt so familiar. So it was all mm. new and it was all like, but I've been here before or I've tasted this or like, I know this water, right? Like it was everything. And so I experienced visiting Haiti for the first time with my family. So both my partner and my kids and I all experienced Haiti for the first time and seeing us all take in what it meant, right? And for me, it was, it was so needed. And 2017, actually, after that trip, I like had a nervous breakdown, James. And I think the island really woke up in me. <laughs> the ancestors were like, yo, <laughs> Farine, you have to start living in your truth and who you are. Like, this is the island you come from. Like the first black republic to freaking get their freedom and kick out France. And we've paid the price for that since then. But we are a country of strength and resiliency and culture and music. And so I think when I came back to Vermont, I had a culture shock because I was like, oh my God, I'm stuck here. These white people are taking away my identity, like mm -hmm. racism, I wanna like, and so, Sometimes we have to completely melt into a mess in order to like rise like a phoenix. And that's kind of what happened after my first trip to Haiti. Yeah. And then I went back two years later and kind of the same thing kind of happened. And that's kind of when I met you. And that's when I started dabbling into storytelling. And because, again, the land was like, Farin, you know who you are. You know who you are. And I feel like each time I go back, I was picking up the parts of me that I had let either dim down or fall off because of just the the, the whiteness that can happen in these spaces that I'm a part of, you know? Mm -hmm. And I and I just I've never felt so deeply connected to my Haitian culture. You know, like I you know, once upon a time, I, I remember being in high school and wanting to like play it down because at that time there were all these stereotypes of what a Haitian was, yeah. you know, like I'm a more light skinned black woman. Like I was just like, I could, I could pass, you know, like, and yeah, not anymore. I'm like, yeah. this is who I am. This is my Island. Yeah. She's been through some stuff. There's some hard stuff happening, but we know who we are. Mm -hmm. And we hustle and we figure it out. Um, yeah. And I love that. And I love weaving that part of my identity into some of the storytelling offerings that I do. That's I'm amazing. taking up space. What? I'm yeah. like, y'all are going to know about, y'all are going to know about Haiti and not the single danger story that the media keeps telling you about Haiti. This yeah. is Haiti. I'm Haiti. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh Beautiful. You know, what you just said is, is really uh, relevant because I mean, Hades, Hades obviously having a, a tough, 
existence, right? Like I mean, the past few years have uh, been really hard, and uh, with the assassination, the earthquakes, the the disease. Uh, I mean, it's oh, poverty is always uh, unfortunately Haiti's uh, been a poverty stricken country, um, and and it is a place that is very easy to write off. Um, right. It's just this tiny little part. Right. And everybody's like, ah, hey, we'll go to uh, Punta Cana on the other side. Um, right. And uh, and it's just <clears throat> people don't really understand. Like, I got so DR and hey, anyway, so yada, yada, yada. It is a misunderstood place. And it's easy. Uh, things like that are easily. Uh, uh, or, let me try to phrase this in a way that actually makes sense. Places like that can easily stay misunderstood. Yeah. If people don't make the choice to learn to make the choice to listen, <clears throat> to listen to yeah. whatever. Right. And it's, it's also very easy to be like, Oh my gosh, you're Haitian. I'm so sorry. Oh, James. I have to pause you right there because so I'll never forget when I was working in higher ed, I was giving, I, I was leading a meeting and I was giving them a heads up that I'm going to be out of town for the next 10 days. And I, and I said, like, I'm going to Haiti, so just pay attention to the emails. And someone in the room goes, you're going to do service work for him? And I had this, like, W-T, like, in my head. I was like, did you just ask me that, white woman? Did you, did you just, I said, I'm going away? to Haiti for 10 days and the question that comes out of your mouth is, am I going to go do service? If I had said I'm going to Italy, if I had said I was going to California, if I was even saying I was going to Jamaica, you would have never said that. Yeah. And so you're like that, there is such a misunderstood story. Um, and so for me, with every trip, people's like, you're making me so jealous with what you're doing. I go, I know, you're, my social media is gonna, about these beaches and these meals and the people and the culture because I will not have someone try to shame me again in a meeting like that and ask me if I'm going to do service when I'm like I am going on the I'm going to return back to the island that is a part of my ancestry like my family and I are going to live our best lives yeah. there's not service here um which is why, too, with All Heart Inspirations, I have to keep reminding people about me being Haitian mm -hmm. and not co-opting me and putting me in a different brat. Like, uh, yes, I'm so proud. I'm a proud Black woman. I'm a proud Black Haitian woman. Mm -hmm. um, yes. But yes, yes. I, you, you were talking about, yeah, yes. And what you were saying, too, it's not even, I think right now the media is seeing they're making everyone see that things are really wild, but honestly, James, it's been like that right. since since being colonized. Like it's never gotten a break. That's the like she's never Haiti. She that's her pronouns that I give her. She's never been allowed to rest from the moment they came onto her land. Mm -hmm. And even after fighting them and getting their, like, they're still paying the price. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, it's like what, what people have felt in this pandemic, like, when is this going to stop? I'm running on fumes. I can't seem to catch my next break. I'm exhausted. 
that's like being black and colonized and all of that. Like that is the, like, you know, and in those moments, still trying to figure out how to find joy, how to still have purpose, you know, how to still tend to people and save her life. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I feel for her. And I think that's why I so connected with those trips because as a black woman, how often have I, we feel that people misunderstand what it means to exist in this body, mm-hmm. misunderstand what it means that, what it means to be, I'm not black and angry. I'm black and exhausted by not having basic human needs not met. That's, that is what's fueling this passion, right? Like, uh, I feel like Katie reminds me of what it means to, they're going to try to tell you what your story is, Freen, but you know who you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Remember who you are. The, 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 the joy, the hard times, all of it is part of the beautiful imperfection of the story. Um, so, yeah. So it, those trips really were a part, a crucial part in my healing journey and what has allowed me to be able to wake up in present day time uh, moving through life the way that I do with, with tenderness, grace, but bold flexing a little bit. <laughs> I'm Let's like, go. yeah, you don't know who I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, keep messing with me. I got a good following. I, I, like, <laughs> I, like, or like, you want to collaborate. I'm, I'm bringing you a gift here. <laughs> yeah. Jo- yeah. Join on this thing with me. And I love that. I love, I love that. I have my voice again. I love that. I've, I'm, rem- I'm remembering who my ancestors are. Um, again, first back black Republic. So that's sometimes some of the way I pump myself up before shit. If I'm nervous, uh-huh. I'm like, girl, you're from the, you, you're from Haiti. You first food black, you can go on this stage. You get girl, you can handle 20 minutes. Like go remember your, remember who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference because often we were waiting for people to remind us who we are. And like, there's no time for that. Sometimes, sometimes we gotta be our own cheerleaders. I don't got a time to rally up team Farine to hop, yeah. to like hype me up or I don't order to help uh, dismantle the gaslighting happening in my head. You know, like how do we do that for ourselves as well? Um, so I lean on my country and I lean on the culture and the history of it uh, for those moments. Yes. Often we are waiting for people to remind us of who we are. Woo! Woo! Come on now. Uh, <laughs> God, that's so much. Uh, and that's so true in, in every way. Like, yes, that is uh, that is true culturally. And that's also just, you know, it's true when, you know, with how beautiful you are, with how smart you are, with how capable you are, with how driven, with how, with, you know, the dreams that you have with the, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, right. Your resiliency, um, right. It's uh, it, that, that sentence could be really extrapolated into a whole bunch of beautiful places. <clears throat> um, and uh, yeah, I love that. And, and thank you. Thank you for doing basically exactly what I was going to wind up asking you to do, um, which is, you know, a lot of people aren't going to have the opportunity to go to Haiti whenever they do scrounge up what kind of scratch that they have and their vacation days and their et cetera, et cetera. You know, Haiti's not going to be on the top of a lot of people's lists. Yeah. And, in, and in some ways, 
I understand it because it's what they've been taught. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and et cetera, you know, for all the excuses that we can come up with and reasons, some good, some unfortunate, um, it just is what it is. Um, and so since we can't travel, <laughs> many will not be able to travel to Haiti and experience what you've experienced, eaten the food you've eaten, meet, met the people you've met, walked the beaches you've walked, et cetera, et cetera, seen what you've seen. Um, what you just shared is so beautiful and so important. Um, and I, I just want to thank you. Uh, thank you for being in my head with exactly where I wanted to go with that. Um, but more importantly, thank you, uh, for being the light, um, for a country that is, uh, consistently misrepresented, misunderstood and, uh, pitied, um, in a really, um, unfortunate and insulting way um in a lot of times so uh yeah i really uh, appreciate you friend uh i also love how you know you're talking about your first trip back and i think you said it's 2017 how you yeah. went to you went to haiti and then you went back to vermont and you were like what the hell am i supposed to do here i think i think we can both agree and i haven't been to haiti i was supposed to go to haiti uh ironically on a service trip but i was supposed to go to haiti um <laughs> it is what it is they do both exist um you're not off the hook random white lady in farine's meeting um <laughs> but uh but still um <laughs> so neither am i um but either way i think we can both agree even though i haven't been there that vermont may be the opposite of haiti um and <laughs> And, and on paper, right? Like the, at the end of the day, we're humans. We love, we have needs, we care for each other. Um, and, and there is far more things that connect us than divide us. Um, but uh, on paper, the two look quite different. And you yeah. moved to Vermont, as you mentioned, as a mixed race family, <clears throat> as a proud black woman. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and we could see the way the polls work. Vermont's one of those states that on election day, it's like, already gone democrat and it literally says with 0.01 of precincts districts reporting it's just like someone sneezed on a voting machine in vermont like oh it's democrat um right and so it's interesting and we don't need to dive too deep into into politics i want to stay on the humanity side of things but oftentimes we equate um, you know, democratic with the more open-minded, liberal, social justice leaning. Um, and yeah. that's not always the case, right? Um, a lot of times it's a, a bunch of well-intended white people um, who, who know what to say, but don't necessarily know how to act and know what to do. And, and we're able to live in bubbles, right? Like I lived in Brooklyn, New York for a long time. Um, and in a, in a white part of Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn is deeply blue. I think it was 92% de voted Democrat in the last election. Um, and, uh, and so, um, it's also an incredibly diverse place, uh, but either way, right. It's possible to be a white person in our little bubble, et cetera, et cetera, fighting fights that are important, but we don't necessarily know why we're fighting them or not fighting fights, but at the same time being like, yeah, someone, someone should change that. Um, <laughs> right. So they should really figure that out. I'll vote for so-and-so. Um, right. And thank you for your votes. Keep voting. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, but at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, your lived experience and what is a predominantly white state that is politically liberal leaning has got to be fascinating because a racists are everywhere. 
well-intentioned people are everywhere and people who are doing the right thing are everywhere. Um, and so I, well, I would love for you to maybe speak a little bit to your experience about that and why, why, and if you could tie in a little bit of all hard inspirations in there, because, you know, you, you specifically talk about on your website, um, really wanting to make a collective difference within your local Vermont community. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could, if, you, if I could force you to tie all that together in a bow, that'd be great. Go ahead. Just go right. ahead with that. <laughs> this is going to test if I'm, am I an, am I a good storyteller? All right, let's go. All right. What's, what's my opening line? Yeah. Where are we going? All right. But um, no, so James, wow. So here's the deal, right? This is the, this is the danger, right? That's a, when we talk about those single stories, Vermont, so liberal, it's so liberal, like come to Vermont. Vermont is racist as fuck <laughs> because like the danger is we, we want to think this is what the image is here. This is who we are. Yeah. Yet what it's meant to be in this community and what I have experienced, I'm going to have to talk about everybody else. What I have experienced personally in 10 years, uh, there's been some really heartbreaking stuff when it comes in particular around race for me. Um, and there's two things that I want to talk about uh, where we felt the clash of y'all say you're liberal, but when it comes time to show up and actually like walk the walk or do the action silence or you're so performative, right? Like, again, th this exists everywhere, but the reason why we moved to Vermont is because my partner got a job coaching uh, men's basketball at St. Michael's College. So that's what brought us up here. So eventually, Josh, when he became the head coach, um, there's an exhibition game that St. Michael's College, where he worked, and Uni UVM, where I work, those two basketball teams play an exhibition game at the beginning of the basketball season every year. So one of those years, this was 2017. I don't know if people are connecting the dots about what 2017 meant to our family. It was, but in 2017, when St. Michael's played against UVM, Josh had a, a, a handful of uh, players of color on his team. And it was around the time a year later when Kaepernick started the taking of the knee. There's like, it's the beginning movements of, Black Lives Matter, all of this stuff. So the way people are embracing it more these days, that just wasn't the energy of 2017. You were, you were on the outlier. You were an outshooter. And Josh and his players demonstrated at that game. And many of them chose to take a knee, including all three white coaches. And I was sitting behind the team bench with my daughters. And I knew that they were going to do this. And I had my own anxious thoughts about what that could mean in this very gym filled with all these local Vermonters. And it all went to shit the way that my heart, mind, soul thought it would. The minute that anthem started playing and people saw those men of color taking a knee and those coaches, 3,000 spectators, and in that, all that energy, you hear people shouting, go back to Africa, stand up, get up now. Like, all, like the shit just got so 
ugly and hostile. And it's like, oh, Vermont, you're so liberal. Oh, UVM and your, integ your, your, your common ground values of integrity and openness, like your colors are showing right now. And to be a black woman in that building surrounded by a sea of whiteness with my daughters who at the time were like, they were itty bitties. Like we're talking like what, like two and six maybe. Yeah seeing these players that I care so deeply about get all these racist or harsh comments shouted at them. And then after the anthem was done, we just went to business as usual. No one even addressed what just happened. Mm -hmm. The announcer was like, all right, we're going to start the game. And the game had the president of the university at for UVM. It had the provost. I'm sitting there in that gym like, is somebody going to say or do something? And then at one point, this white man comes and starts talking smack to Josh and his players who are huddled up because now they got to play a game after yeah. the, the room just shitted on them. James, I'm at the point where my black mama bear heart just can't take the complicity and silence anymore and the bystander energy. I literally get in this white dude's face because I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you are not talking to this team. Like, and at one point people broke us up and I got told to calm down or else I'd get kicked out and white dude just got to walk away and nobody addressed the fact that he originally, the reason why we're in this is because he came up starting to talk vulgar and shit to the players while they're huddling up trying to get, and yeah, there's security, but nobody's doing anything. Yeah. So I finally did something because it's one of those moments as a black person, you're like, somebody's gonna do something. Somebody who's white, who's not as fired up as me right now because mm -hmm. of what you're going to do something and to see nothing get done. And then when I chose to do something finally, which shouldn't have even been my job because the cops should have been doing that, I get checked. Yo, James, I remember feeling so angry, so ashamed. I'm like, this room did exactly what I didn't want them to do to me. Yeah. All people see me now is this angry black woman. I'm sitting with tears streaming down my face as I got pretty much checked to be in my place in front of my daughters while everybody else goes back to laughing and cheering. All right, go use like the provost, the president. I like look down, I can see them. They're chilling. I was like, what is this state? What is this school? What is this community that I God. have inserted myself in? Yeah. Why am I breaking my back to do all of this work on this campus? And when I needed you to have my back, to have our back, silence, that game was on a Saturday, Monday comes around, there's a whole athletic meeting, they don't mention it once what happened, nobody's made any email announcements to the campus, so that's the problem we can get very comfortable in Vermont that we're doing the work and we're liberal, but then this stuff like this is happening all the time. And we're really good at either uh, pushing the story under the rug or sweeping mm -hmm. it away or just quieting it down. In that incident, I think athletics was raising money for a new gym. We ain't trying to like ruffle up season ticket holders and all of that stuff. And it was just so messed up. And uh, that was me realizing this job is a fucking job and it will kill you. 
And at that point, <laughs> it was just it was killing my soul as a black person. And I wasn't courageous enough to move on then, but it would come with time. And I would do some more life work in 2019. And uh, I'd go to a retreat hosted by you that would affirm that I was resigning from my job. <laughs> I, 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 I joke with my partner that if I wasn't resigning from UVM yet, when I, I would have been resigning after your retreat. But I was so happy to be a person in that room that I was like, and that's why I told them I'm getting the hell out. Like, F this. I'm reclaiming my life. Like, da, 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 da. Didn't you use professional development money to come to my retreat to then quit your job? <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, I, you know, James, the minute I wanted to get on this storytelling path, I was aligning myself with any retreat that would invite me to ask myself the deeper questions. Mm -hmm. And it related back to the work I was doing with first year experience, because that's what I wanted my new students to do. Yep. So I was always able to tweak something for it to all be aligned. But I was like, yo, UVM's paying me right now to reflect. <laughs> on how I'm going to be the best version of myself after I leave them. <laughs> that's, pro, that's pro moves right there. That's pro moves. Reparations, reparations, yo. I don't care. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Vermont is, it. it's just, it can be very ugly as yeah. all the other places. And, you know, once you start making your way through the Kool-Aid, mm -hmm. stop drinking the Kool-Aid, work your way through the fog, you see the truth. Yeah. And then at that point, you got to make some serious life choices of what does that mean? And for me, one of my motivators for wanting to get out of UVM was to uh, take my power back. I want to drive the spaces that I'm immersing myself in. I want to drive who's telling me what work I should or shouldn't. I'm like, I'm done people having ownership over my intellectual wisdom and my physical body because mm -hmm. enslaved, enslavement stopped. Supposedly that stopped like centuries ago. But when I worked for UVM, I was enslaved. Mm. That's, that's what that was. Mm. Uh, Fareen, I don't care if this is what you feel could be the best for first year students. This is what we need. Or we're not gonna talk to you about moving your office. We're just going to move you because we see this magic that you do in this division and we're just going to put you in another division. But why didn't you, you haven't even talked to me about why I thrive in this particular area, this yeah. land, this division. There's a reason why we make sense here, but people see you magical and they just think you're pawns in their game. Um, and so for me, I love that I get to do work now where on Monday, James, uh, on Monday, I had to do a storytelling offering for a group of students, mostly white students, mostly men. And it was the first time I was doing an offering after an incident that happened to my family over Thanksgiving. Um, over the Thanksgiving break, my family and I uh, discovered that somebody wrote the N-word on the hood of our, on our car. So we've been processing that. Yeah. And we've just been kind of off the grid, trying to figure out what does that mean? Uh, and I had to show up for the first time in a public way since this assault happened to me and my family. And I'm showing up in a space that's mostly white, mostly men, and I'm the only black woman in the space. Back then in UVM, if that was the setting that I had to go in as the FYE director, I would have to just do business as usual, 
mask up what I was holding and just hold them. But what I got to do, because this is my business, and this is actually a very important moment for them as students to be like, you know how we were all excited to go on break? We just wanted to rest. We just wanted to do us. Our break didn't go the way that we envisioned. Instead, we discovered that someone wrote the N-word on our car. I don't know where it happened. And that's something in itself, but like my family's safety, like having to tell our daughters that, like this person, when they wrote this on our car, you just didn't get at me as a black person. Hmm. You got at my partner, you got at my kids. Monday morning, when we let Melody walk to school, we had a, <clears throat> do we let her walk to school still? This is, this, this is all that has happened on Monday morning. And so to get those men, to get those white students in particular, and then to empower some of the few brown students that are in that space to share, that's been my story too, Fareen. I only live two streets away from you. And when we moved into the neighborhood, some kid just called me the N-word. I'm really sorry that happened to you. And their friends are like, whoa, this is happening? But I thought we were so progressive in Burlington. Didn't we paint Black Lives Matter? And I go, I know, right, Leo? It can feel that way. It feels like we're doing the work, but both actually exist. We've come far and we haven't come far at all. And we just had real talk. And, and they're now thinking about it. I don't know if I'm changing lives, but I do know in that moment, one story at a time, me taking the risk to unpack what it meant to have this hate crime happen to me. And what does it mean for all of us to invest in it? Like I looked at that room and I said, I do not know if I have the capacity to be the facilitator you are used to me being when I come here. So I'm looking to you to help me start healing. And that's why I needed to talk about this. And, I, and this is why I kind of need you to care because it's affecting the way that I show up in this very moment. Because prior to coming here today, I haven't been out of bed for three days, just staying safe in my bubble. So I just want you to know I trusted you enough to come here this morning. That's powerful. That's, that's very different than you know, le learning whatever the history shit they're doing in school these days. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've seen snippets of their reflections. I got a card in the mail from a student in their family. Farine, I'm sorry I heard this happen to you. One story at a time. Realness, vulnerability, it takes risk on my end, but it helps me do my work and my healing. All it is is helping me be in check with who I am. Yeah. And so, yeah. First off, that is so messed up uh, that your family was assaulted that way. Um, and uh, as your friend, <clears throat> I'm sorry. As a fellow uh, human, I'm sorry. As a white person, I'm sorry. Uh, and, uh, but it is... Um, uh, yeah, I literally could only imagine cause I've never been there. Never had anything even remotely close to that, uh, happened to me. Um, <clears throat> but I can only imagine the fear, the anger, uh, the, the distrust, the, uh, 
I don't know, the, the rage, the grief, the everything that, uh, that you and your family are going through um, at a place where, you know, you started off this, this episode talking about how Vermont <laughs> has really become a place that you love, right? Yeah. Um, and, I... and, and, uh, and, you know, and it's, it's just really, it, it's really messed up to have someone shake the core of something that oh. you love, right? And it's like um, in a very different way, right? Uh, and this is uh, in a very different way. We had our car broken into um, and they stole a whole bunch of stuff out of our car. Now going back into the car feels weird. Mm -hmm. Someone else has been there. Yeah. Someone else has stepped into, right? And it's, it's a completely different dynamic from what you experienced, but like, you going out to your car, you walking around your community, you, you know, I people, am. people looking at you be like, was it you? It's probably you. I see you over there, Phil. Um, right. And, and so I'm like, yeah. am I supposed to check my car before and after I go into it? Like to, it's, yeah. it's, I don't, so I'm just trying to live. I'm just trying to go to the grocery. I'm just trying to run an errand. Um, yes. you know, James, I, that word, which you know, has been around for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And the, the, the way that word was used so long ago still has the, the gutting power still in 2021. Like that, like that mm -hmm. was the moment I had when I saw that word on my hood, James, as I expressed to the students and to anybody else who I've processed it with, it stripped me of everything. Yeah. Seeing that word just stripped me. All of this work that I've been doing, who I am, proud of like what I've done to show up in this thing called life, trying to not just survive it, but thrive as a black person, because that is my birthright. Doing the work, hustling, started my own business. I like all of this stuff. And in that moment, when I saw that word, I, I got reduced to nothing. I felt crippled. Yeah. I, I started, I questioned my worth. I questioned everything, like what I meant to the community, all of it. And it's just like, wow, if that's what that word was doing to me in 2021, like, and you just go back and think of all the different scenarios when that word was used in a way to cause harm or to remind someone that I see you as less than. So I've had to do this healing work of coming out of this funk. And I think that's why it rocks me so much because I've really tried in the last couple of years of my life to know who I am and to walk in that greatness, to move in that greatness. And too often barriers, people, haters, they try to throw all this stuff in the way when you're dimming your brightest. And, you know, that's what some of the conversation was. Like, I'm someone in the community who's really vocal, social, organizing, and all of that stuff. This comes with doing this work. You know, like all summer, I'm speaking in the park every Tuesday, and I'm telling people exactly how I feel or see things because we have to be more honest with ourselves, community, because we've been living in a dream sometimes, but like a, the, the dream that's not good for us to live in. And it was just wild how that seeing that word on my car all of a sudden made me feel like everything was a loss. And I was like, no, remember who you are, you know, and I, I love my partners and my community and myself more importantly, 
to be able to figure out how to bounce back. But I said to the students, I felt like someone took my voice away. And so the next time that I have to be visibly public with an offering, I'm curious how it might influence my, my collective spirit. Because mm -hmm. I take a risk every time I open my mouth in this particular body that mm -hmm. I move through the world in. Yeah, it is, it is so much more than uh, just another story in your arsenal. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you let us in today. I'm grateful for the way that you spoke about it. Uh, it is, um, it's important. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to hear, uh, not just because you're my friend, but also, uh, cause you're a fellow human. Um, and, uh, and it's fucked up. And so I really appreciate you letting us in. Uh, sounds like you had a real powerful moment with those men um at that at that opportunity that you had uh, to work with them yesterday i think you said and uh it just it just goes to show you why the work that you're doing with all heart inspirations is powerful um, and why it matters because it's stories right yeah. it's not just yo someone wrote the m-word on my car that really sucks right and, and yeah. what you what you just did um is you you told us the story about it. Not that you had planned. You didn't have a beginning, middle and end. It wasn't some whatever, like put it up at the moth uh, kind of story. <laughs> right. Like, but like, but it's at the same time, it was, it was, it was a broken story because it was, it was vulnerable. It was in the moment you're actively processing and, and thinking about it and, uh, and having to relive it. And, and it's so fresh and et cetera, et cetera. But like these, these are the stories that you help others unlock and tell and listen to as well um, yeah. so that they can get a better picture of, uh, of the world of difference of culture of their own selves, their stories that they have discounted okay. um, and uh, or they have told themselves that that's ah, not enough or I'm not interesting or I'm not whatever. Um, right. Yeah. Um, the work that you do is so, incredibly powerful and i couldn't be more proud to call you my friend uh and and to to watch you do the work to get to experience your work um and it has been an honor to have you in the diner <laughs> thank you for having me oh. oh man someday i want to get you a diner i want to get like a movable one like mm -hmm. like we should like we remix like a an airstream <laughs> and then you get to just like cross country, like just pulling mm -hmm. people into it. Cause just the whole story behind a diner and the vibes of it. Like I've had some beautiful late nights and <laughs> the, the stories that we tell over thick toast with butter and, yes. and, and greasy plates and <laughs> people coming in and out. And it's like, Oh, that would be a good setting for a mm -hmm. story slam. <laughs> So you're thank right. you so much for what you do to at least allow us to experience the vibes and the magic of that in the moment, what's on the heart, what's on the soul um, through this podcast. So it's an absolute honor uh, to be a guest. So thank you, James. 
Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Farine, we could talk, uh, we could talk for hours. There's so much more in, in your story. You have so many more stories. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to have you back on, uh, eventually just because there's so much more that we can get into. Um, and I want to know what you're up to. I want to know what other baked goods are for sale on your website. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, stoked that you were here. Thank you for coming. Let the people know where, where can people catch up with you? Where, where can people learn more about all heart inspirations? Yes, yes. I love Instagram. Um, and so I put a lot of energy into stories. I love that feature of Instagram. And so but Instagram, All Heart Inspirations, uh, Facebook, All Heart Inspirations website, allheartinspirations.com. And also, if you say farine and storytelling, that combination is pretty unique right now in the global world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love that. Um, that there's a variety of different ways that people can find us. And uh, we look forward to just manifesting more opportunities for people to have these heartfelt centered moments. I love it. Thank you so much for coming through, Farine. I appreciate you. You're welcome. Hell yeah. Y'all, that was my time with Farine. She is the shit. I hope that you enjoyed hearing her stories, hearing about her life, hearing about her culture, uh, hearing about her recent traumatic events. I don't hope you enjoyed hearing that, but I hope you recognize the importance uh, of it Uh, and, and the power of what she said, where there's a lot of individuals who believe that just because the way they're thinking about something makes them a good person. And it does, but action is also important. Uh, It has to be more than a vote. It has to be more than a like on Facebook, even than a share on Instagram. Uh, what are you doing to actively hear the stories of those around you to know that this isn't just something that's happening to people on the news. These are things that are happening to our friends right next to us. And so I'm grateful for our time together. And I'm grateful for the way that Farine lifted us up and the way her dad lifted us up when, when he said, baby girl, you don't have to dream anymore. You're living it. My friends, you are living a beautiful story. And I hope you know that. And until next time, let's keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. We'll see you next time in the diner. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. (laughs) If you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) Also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.